The word redeemed is a very interesting word. And it is defined as the idea of buying back something from bondage. In other words, it's a matter of buying back by paying a price. And sometimes the price is very high. Have you ever heard the term a king's ransom? It's a very old term. Maybe we've used it in our own vernacular over the years. Somebody might say, oh, that is so valuable, they must have paid a king's ransom for it. Have you ever stopped to consider where that came from, that phrase, a king's ransom? I read that it went all the way back to the time of the Crusades when the king of, in England was named Richard Cor de Leon and he was captured by the enemy. Now, history tells us that the people loved their king. Wouldn't it be great to be such a king I'm talking about in, in, in the common fleshly world to be such a leader, such a ruler, such a king that the people loved you so much that they were willing to submit to excessive taxation just to free you and redeem you. Well, history tells us this king was captured and he was cast into prison and the people did just that. They submitted to excessive taxation and large sums of money were taken in. I also read that rich nobles saw what was going on, and they loved the king too, and they dumped money in, and the coffers literally were overflowing with money to buy back that king. And from that story in history, we now have the phrase, a king's ransom. Also going back to the time of the Crusades, there was Sir Grimwald, and he was captured by the Saracens. Now, the Saracens, that's a term used to describe Muslims who were evil and wicked and cruel and those that opposed the Crusades. Now, you know, really, it's nothing new for them to be cruel and hateful, and that's exactly what they were. And they took this man, Sir Grimwald, and they said, we're going to execute him. We're going to take his life. Unless unless his precious wife is willing to cut her right hand off and submit her right hand for her loving husband. You know the story tells that she didn't even bat an eye? She didn't even take time to consider it. She says, take it. And she outstretched her arm and took off her hand for her husband. You see, there's always a high price for redemption, buying someone back that is in bondage. And I want you to understand today, and maybe in prayerfully this will help you to understand what price was paid for you. You might think in your life that there's nothing that, that you have and no one in, in your life that's ever done anything for you. Sometimes we feel sorry for ourselves, and our mind goes there. But if you're a child of God, you've been redeemed and you've been bought back out of the bondage of something. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Now, Peter says that you've been bought or redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Now, very briefly, we'll get back to this later. Obviously, those that were listening and those that read from Peter would understand what he's making reference to when they talk about a lamb being slain. We talk about the idea where the children of Israel were in Egyptian bondage. God passed down a plague that the firstborn would die. So watch that. The firstborn was really sentenced to die 
until what? The blood, not just the blood, but the precious blood of the lamb was applied. They took the life of that lamb. They put the blood also in one basin and they took that blood and dipped it in hyssop and put it on the doorpost and the lentil and the death angel would pass over that house. What am I saying? I'm saying that the death angel would pass over and because of the blood, they were redeemed or they were passed over and not killed. But we're talking about something that's even greater. As great as that was, it pales in comparison to what Jesus has done for us. Taking these two verses, though, I want to ask two questions. Number one, what are we redeemed from? And number two, what are we redeemed with? Now, I like just taking, I call it the Holy Spirit's outline. We're just going to take these two verses and we're going to go through and do an exposition of these two verses and build our thoughts from it. The question is, what are we redeemed from? Somebody might say, well, wait a minute, everything in my life is going pretty good. I don't have a need to be removed from any kind of bondage. I have a great life. What does Peter say, though, about this life? First of all, we understand we are redeemed from something. And it is bondage. Now, I understand that we can look at it from a general sense and we can say that when we've been redeemed, we were redeemed from the bondage of sin. But there's more. There's more. Notice uh, 1 Peter 1 and 14. It says, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to your former lust. In other words, Peter is saying that the element of our life prior to redemption is lust. Now, lust, as defined, is this. It is a strong and illicit desire that reflects the bondage of sin. And all of that speaks for itself. In James chapter 1 and verse 15, you know, sometimes people say, well, God is testing me. God is throwing obstacles before me. That's not true. God is, the re God is our refuge. The Bible says when we talk about sin, though, James 1.15, that lust, when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. The New King James says, desire there. All right, we'll go back to verse 14, please. 1 Peter 1.14 goes further. Not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance. Now, I know that there are things in our life that we learn over time. There are those that have just entered into the painting trade. And you're starting off as a first period apprentice. There are things that you do not know. And over time, you learn those things. So the day that you begin your job as a first period apprentice, as part of the trade, you are ignorant of various aspects of it. But that's not what I'm talking about. What is the ignorance that we are freed from or redeemed from? What ignorance do we have in mind? Go back to John 17 and verse 25. In John chapter 17 and verse 25, this is Jesus Christ and he's praying to his father. And he said, oh, righteous father. In other words, father, you are righteous. And then he says, the world has not known you. That's out of ignorance. But I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. So therein lies the bondage of those that are not saved. They do not know God. 
That's the clearest and most pervasive expression of man's ignorance. And they're ignorant of God. But do you remember in John chapter 8, when Jesus was talking to those Pharisees? He actually describes people that were ignorant by choice. Remember when Jesus says, he says, I'm going to go away. Now, the one thing they did understand, they did understand that he meant death. He said, I'm going to go away. And you're going to seek me, but you will not find me. And where I'm going, you cannot come. And all they could think is, wait a minute. If he's going to die and uh, he, we're not going to go where he's going to go, then he must be going to the deepest part of hell because we're going to heaven. And Jesus says, your father is the devil. You've got your directions mixed up. You're not going to heaven. You don't know me, and you don't know the Father if you don't know me. And you know what they said? They said, well, who are you? All the miracles that Jesus performed, it should have been obvious who Jesus was. But they willfully were ignorant of that. You remember, a, I don't know, a year ago, whatever, when I preached a sermon, I talked about willful ignorance, and I talked about the idea that today we have a category or a classification of somebody in the, in the world today that says that I'm a not-knower or I'm just going to ride the fence on this. It's called an agnostic. Never forget that the Latin equivalent for agnostic is ignoramus. Same word. And some people willfully are ignorant. When you're redeemed, you're not only redeemed from lust, but you're redeemed from ignorance. You're, you, because now you know God. Now, notice some other passages about ignorance that's attached to those that are not saved. Look at 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. But the natural man, or the unsaved man, does not, know, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So in other words, something happens in our life. That is revelation. Revelation, now all I'm talking about is what's been revealed already. There's not going to be new revelation. I'm talking about the word of God. So somebody is ignorant of the truth. They are ignorant of God. They do not know God. But then revelation makes the difference. That's when the Bible says that the gospel has the power to save. One scholar, Mr. Shepherd, wrote this about revelation. Because sometimes people say, you know, I know God. I know God's will. I know God's will for my life. Shepherd says this, man by his natural faculties without revelation, that's without the word of God, could not learn the will of God. But in order that he might know it, the spirit of God who knows the things of God, was transferred to the apostles and made known to them of God's will. And they revealed it to the people. So the natural man then is the man who has never heard the will of God, for he has no way of knowing till those who receive the revelation make it known to him. And that's when the Bible talks about that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. What makes the difference? Revelation. All right. Now, Galatians chapter 4. You know, Paul's going to talk about two, two kinds of people. A saved person and 
a unsaved person. But first, in Galatians 4 and 8, Paul spoke of a time before when they were not saved. And this is what he said. He said, but then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those things by nature that are not God's. Then he says to those that are saved, Galatians 4 and 9, but now after you have known God, or rather have known or are known of God. Did you know that you can't know God unless God knows you? That's the question. The Bible says the Lord knows those that are his. Those that are his are those that obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my words. In other words, obey me. So when we obey the Lord and obey the commands of the Lord and are redeemed and redeemed from ignorance by revelation or the word of God, then we are known of God. And that's a tremendous blessing. Go back to verse 18 of our text. 1 Peter chapter 1. There's something else here. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but watch what it says, from your aimless conduct. Now, the word aimless there is translated as futile. Now, redemption is not only from the things that are governed by sin and removing ourselves from that, but get this, it also guides us away from a futile life. And you might wonder, what in the world are you talking about? A futile life. You know what Peter says? It's your aimless conduct. You know what that means? It means it doesn't matter all the great things you will do in your life. Without being redeemed, your life is futile. I'm going to tell you, there's some good people today. There's some great people that have done great things with medicine. But without being redeemed, your life is futile. Without the Lord, it is aimless. It is vain. It is empty. One scholar said the life of the unsaved man is a life that fails to meet the standards of God. I want to ask you a question. Consider this. I want you to think about your life. And I want you to ask yourself the question, why am I here? Why am I here? Why was I born? Everybody wants to have a purpose. Everybody wants to have some kind of guidance or some kind of thing in their life that gives them purpose. But you are here for one reason and one reason only. And it's the only reason that God created man. And that is, here it is, to honor God. And if your life is not honoring God, it is aimless or futile. It has no purpose. You know, when God created man, he could have created a bunch of robots that just fell in line and fell down before God and did exactly what God wanted them to do. But God did not do that. He created man with the freedom of choice and free will. And his desire is and his purpose for you in your life is to honor him with your life. All right. So what are we redeemed from? Lust, ignorance, 
futility, but there's one more. Look at verse 18 again, please. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers. Now, what's the tradition that we are talking about? I got to make a couple points here. Bear with me on this. Sometimes people say that we do what we do out of tradition. Now, there's a difference between something that we do and tradition simply means that which is passed down by our forefathers or those that have gone on before us, right? Now, traditions are great. There's a lot of traditions in my family. Thanksgiving is a tradition. And on that day, we do the same thing. We watch the Cowboys play at 1.30. Hopefully, they don't lose. We all eat at the same time. We all do the same things. We have traditions in our family. We have a number of traditions that we do in our family. And there's nothing wrong with that. Peter says, though, when you're redeemed, you are free from tradition. The question is, what's he talking about? He is talking about religious tradition. Now, got to make this point. There's a difference between religious tradition that contradicts the word of God. And there's a difference between that and apostolic tradition. Now, apostolic tradition is what we read about in the word of God. And when we read in the New Testament, the apostles doctrine, that is apostolic tradition. And what they commanded and what they did, we follow. And that's right. That's not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about the traditions, the religious traditions of their fathers. Now, to the Jew, he was talking about Jewish traditions. We're redeemed from that. To the Gentile, he's talking about all the things that the Gentiles were involved in by tradition. All of their idols. What are you redeemed from? Those traditions too. Traditions are very obvious and they're very prevalent in our life you know jesus when he talked about the traditions jesus spoke of that very thing in matthew 15 and 9 he said and in vain they do worship me teaching for doctrines and commandments of men so this is in response to the scribes and the pharisees remember what they said they said to, to, about the lord's disciples oh they're doing wrong they don't wash their hands before they eat big deal you know, the, the Jews were, by way of tradition, they were more concerned with the outward appearance than they were on what was inside. You know what Jesus said? Jesus dealt with that very thing, and he talked about the weightier matters. You neglect the weightier matters of the law. Oh, you're like a Pharisaic person that's counting all the this and that and whatever and following suit with all that, but inside you're not right. The weightier matters of the law you neglect. Well, Jesus said in response to these, it said, your disciples are doing wrong because they don't wash their hands before they eat. He said, you are taking the traditions of men and you are making it a doctrine. We are free from that. In Hong Kong, there was an evangelist that spoke about a man that was working in a hotel. A very, very, very nice, well-behaved, respectful, well-dressed young man. 
And this evangelist goes to him and he says, you know what I'd like to do? You're such a good kid. You're such a good young man. I would love it if you'd read the Bible. Could I get you a Bible? Could you read the Bible? And the young man said, absolutely not. Thank you, sir. But I could never read the Bible while my father was alive. Tradition. Passed down from the fathers. You know, there's people today that don't follow what the word of God says because following what the word of God may condemn or convict a family member. But we don't need to follow what the family member does. We're redeemed from those traditions. We just follow the word of God. In Korea, they're so intimately tied many times to their mothers and grandmothers and fathers and forefathers that they can't make a break to embrace the gospel. They're caught in tradition. And those are things that are bondage. So, what are we redeemed from? Well, obviously, the bondage of sin, specifically lust, ignorance, futility, and tradition. But the second question, what are we redeemed with? Now, this is really interesting because when you think about what are we redeemed with, Peter begins first in this passage with, with the negative side. And he said, not silver or gold. In fact, he says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. The negative aspect of it first is not silver and gold. Now, why did he say that? What could he have possibly been referring to when he said silver or gold? Now, remember, redeemed is to be bought back with a price. It's to pay a price to redeem you. Look at Exodus chapter 30. Talking about the idea. They would have understood about silver and gold. Exodus chapter 30. Begin there in verse 11. This is regarding ransom money. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, there may be no plague among them when you number them. Now, God does not command them to take a census. He's just saying, when you take the census, this is what you're going to do. And you're going to offer uh, something valuable, silver and gold, so there's no plague that comes upon you. Now, by the way, at this particular time, there were no coins. In fact, I read that coins were invented and used for the first time in 700 B.C. So these were actual, literal pieces of silver. Now go to Exodus 30 and 13. That is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half of a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And a shekel, it says, is 20 giras. And a half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Look at the next verse, verse 14. Everyone included among those who were numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. In other words, when you take the census and the people are numbered, everyone that's 20 years old and above has to make atonement for themselves to avoid the plague. All right. You might ask, well, why would God send a plague for taking a census? You remember when David got himself in trouble for doing that? 
Do you remember what David did? David numbered the people. And that was wrong. David did wrong. David got in trouble for numbering the people. Why did David number the people? Instead of putting his faith in God and his trust in God, he figured out this. I'm going to count up how many we got and let's see how big our force is. He got in trouble for that. Numbering the people. So in Exodus, it says, when they do that, when you number, said, uh, you got to pay a ransom. The implication is that it was wrong to do that. And those that were involved were required to pay a ransom for their sin. One commentator wrote this. He said, the taking of a census was bound up with the religious ritual of purification due to the fact that the census itself was considered a sin. It was considered a lack of faith in God, so it had to have a cleansing feature. By doing this, the Israelites would be delivered from the punishment that they were liable to be inflicted on them on account of their sin implicit to the census, end quote. Now, you know what Peter says? He's going to talk about something that is so great, he said it's not silver and gold. Exodus, what was it? Silver and gold. Pieces of silver, monetary means. Peter says, not silver and not gold. But then he says, but from the positive side, but from the precious blood of Jesus Christ without blemish and without spot. In other words, the price of our redemption had to be only with blood. You know, the word precious comes from the word tamaios. And it means to be held in honor. It means to be esteemed dear. Now, just like the lamb was unblemished during the Passover and spotless. Now, somebody might say, now, wait a minute. Wasn't all the blood precious? I mean, after all, weren't they all just innocent animals, innocent victims? The answer to that is no. In fact, if you had a sheep or you had a lamb and that lamb was without blemish, was without spot, it was considered precious, the word tamaios. Now, the Passover feast, they had to do that. They took one of those kind of lambs. Now, why was it precious? I read something interesting about that. It was precious because it represented, get this, future generations. In other words, in the breeding process, a shepherd that had a lamb that was precious or was without spot or blemish, it represented future generations. It was money in his pocket. Now, when you talk about the Passover, get this. When a shepherd had a lamb like that and he had to give up the lamb, it was a tremendous sacrifice to the shepherd, and it was a tremendous sacrifice to the lamb. You want to know what price has been paid for you? In this, God is the shepherd. God paid the price. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God is the shepherd, and he paid a great price. 
Jesus is the Lamb, the priceless, precious Lamb of God. And He gave His life for all mankind. I'll tell you something. If understanding that doesn't make us have a greater desire to serve God, I don't know what will. Our life is aimless without the Lord. Is the Lord in your life? Is he the Lord of your life? You know, really, I got to make this point, too. We talk about we talk about byproducts. We talk about things that seem the symptom of the problem. What do we always say? What's the one thing we always say? We always talk about attendance and priorities. We always talk about that. But that is a symptom. It's a symptom of a greater problem. The problem is the heart. The problem is we are not changed. If we were changed on the inside out, then all of those other things would fall into place. We would have our priorities right automatically. You are here today because you woke up this morning and you said, I have an appointment with my Lord and there's nothing else that is more important than what I'm going to do right now. Everything else that's scheduled in the day is after this and it doesn't matter. This is the most important thing in our life. Why is that? Because God is the shepherd, gave his priceless lamb to redeem us and get us out of the bondage of sin, which was lust, ignorance, futility, and tradition. And now we have eternal life. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, watch this. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 20, it says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. In other words, the great sacrifice of the Lamb had to be manifest in these last days or during the last dispensation of time. And now he stands and knocks. You know, Jesus said in Revelation 3 and 20, he said, Behold, I stand and knock, stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and will dine with him and he with me. The question is, the question is, and the point is, the door knob or the latch is on your side. you got to open it up to open up your heart to the Lord. That's what he did for all of us in our life. I love my kids. You love your kids. Nobody in the world has to tell us to love our kids. Nobody has to tell me to love my wife, my family. There's a lot of important things that I have to do as a man, as a father, as a husband. But I'm going to tell you something. Without Jesus Christ being first in my life, every single thing I do is aimless and futile. Are you honoring God with your life today? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. 
please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.